You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. You got it. Yeah. Ooh. I just I, I like having my uh, you know Instagram handle up there so I can get more followers because it validates me. <laughs> No, I, uh, what Ron was just saying about that pastor's conversation uh, is so important because I was just thinking about the fact that if we're not going to have those conversations as pastors and in church, where else are we going to have those conversations, you know? Uh, we need to do that, and I just love the fact that this is a church that's a resource for other pastors, not only in what we, we do, but just, uh, just the leaders we provide, and just, I, I love our church. Well, good morning. I'm elated to be here this morning to be sharing with you, uh, and I couldn't be happier uh, to be here. Ron mentioned I'm the next-gen pastor here at New Life. I help oversee all of our teenagers and our young adults, and I, I really believe that the church is here to equip believers to be more effective ministers of the gospel, to really uh, just get the most fulfilled lives. So, uh, so with that, that idea of equipping, I think it's so important today because today is Valentine's Day. Uh, I'd like to equip the men here with some biblical uh, romantic lines uh, that are sure to work wonders today for romancing your lady. So these are all winners, and they're all biblical. This is very important. So let's go to the Song of Solomon. Uh, and, and if you were thinking you're covered with like a flower and a card and maybe some chocolates, I've got to tell you, you're not. After hearing this, you're going to be like, man, my game needs to be elevated. So fellas, get out some paper. Get out some pens. I'll wait. Because I'm trying to help. So here we go. Fellas, as you give your lady some flowers, you can say, Your hair is like a flock of goats, girl. (laughs) Bah. (laughs) Boom. That's one. You know, when you have a feast arrayed before your wife, you can say, Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone, and on it hang a thousand shields. (laughs) That one's a winner. And uh, continuing on here, uh, you know, in the Song of Solomon, you say your two breasts are, uh, um, yeah, I don't want to get fired, so I read too far. Gosh, dang it. I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Oh, yeah. One time I preached out of the Song of Songs, it was really funny because somebody later was like, I don't think that's the kind of stuff you should be preaching with 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 our youth. And I was like, it's in their Bible. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're going to read it. So, man, if we don't laugh and talk about awkward stuff in church, where are we going to do that, you know? And I think laughter is so important because so many of us come up into church with walls and we come up with our guard up. And I know for me, when I laugh, it, it disarms me. It helps me feel like, okay, I can, I can kind of get a little more comfortable. I like to think of it as we come in with our hearts kind of closed up, even if we don't know it, and just kind of, opening up our hearts to allow the Lord to pour something in. is so important. Uh, and uh, man, our, our world really needs a church that is full of hope, full of life, full of joy, and full of laughter. Uh, because it's infectious, you know. This is a really icy, cynical world. And uh, man, do we need some laughter. Amen? Amen. Well, <laughs> oh man, uh, I, I want to come to church to be built up and not beat up. And I know for me that, uh, you know, as we continue our series, When God Moves, that this whole idea of the church and acts 
is about a church that's being built up. It's interesting because Jesus tells Peter, you are the rock in which I will build my church. And Jesus is always about building his church. Amen? Amen. And that's that same church. I don't know if you know that, that he's talking about to Peter. That's that same church today. And, man, when I, I, I look at and I've been really appreciating our, our series. Uh, last week, if you haven't heard it, Ron spoke about Jesus and, and just how he interrupts our lives. Uh, listen to that. I mean, I was so appreciative because Ron talked about group texts, which I think are an abomination from Satan. Uh, and I was just, I shared with him, I was disappointed because he didn't talk about the number one interrupter of all time, and that's Newman from Seinfeld. Uh, just the worst. I mean, he was even the same character in Jurassic Park. I mean, just ruining everything. But uh, I, I'm excited. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 36 through 43. Uh, we're going to be talked about a woman named Tabitha, uh, or more appropriately, we want to talk about where some of your translations might say Dorcas, which I was like, who named their daughter Dorcas? Just pray for them. Uh, now read with me in, in chapter, or verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Man, uh, whether or not you know it, uh, Scripture oftentimes is so packed full of just little nuances and information and, and things that, you know, just reading that, it's, it's easy to miss. I mean, for instance, Simon a Tanner right there. Peter is a Jewish guy that was like, he's staying with something who they consider filthy. You know, you just, you just read right by that, and you're like, wow, okay, he's a tanner. Is he laying in a bed in tan? Um, you know, that's what I think because of, you know... Like, no, he cures leather. Um, but I want you to, to, just, to just indulge me for a second. And today the, the title of my message is How to Be a dork Us." And what we're going to do today is, is something a little different. And I want to just encourage you guys to just be, just be mindful and open. Uh, and we talked about lowering your guard, about what the Lord wants to do in your heart today. Because I know for me, as I come into Sunday morning, a lot of times it's not thinking anything about just coming to church. But what I, what I, what I so often forget is that it just takes one moment, one moment where I open myself up and I say, Lord, do what you want to do where everything changes. I hope that's the case for you this morning. Let's pray. God, we just come before you today and we just simply ask that, um, God, we want you to move. Our whole series is about how you move. And Lord, as we look at the life of, of one woman today, God, we just pray simply that you lower our guards. God, that any defenses we came in here with, Lord, any frustrations, Lord, that we came in with, any, any defeat that we came in with today, Lord, would you be our victor? 
Would you be our shield? Would you be all those things that we lack? God, that we wouldn't wait till we're at the end of our rope to be open and desperate for you, Lord. But even, God, if, if our lives are full of provision now, that desperation for you would still be there. God, let's just pause just for a moment to just say, Jesus, be here. Be present. We recognize you here. Open our hearts. In your name we said, and we pray, amen. Um, it was really interesting because, uh, as I, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes pastors can really struggle with a particular text. Uh, usually it's like the ones that are rife with theological ramifications and things like that. For me, I was just like, how do I get 30 minutes of material out of this? I was like, ah! And uh, I really struggled with it so much so I was going to go to Ron and just be like, Ron, can I do something else? Because as I read the verse, uh, I was sitting there, and, and, and so often with our walk with the Lord, uh, as it is, it's like sometimes we need to do a little digging and be like, Lord, what are you doing right now? And to just pause for a minute, a minute, <laughs> a minute. And, and so I kept digging, and I wanted to be faithful to the word that the Lord was pushing me towards. So if you don't know, uh, and, and if it wasn't just obvious, when, when you're reading the story about Peter and Tabitha slash Dorcas, you realize that it really parallels another story that also was in a book that Luke wrote, and that's the raising of Lazarus. Uh, the cool thing is that it's, it's a real just kind of parallel to say, hey, just as Jesus raised Lazarus, so too can Peter raise Dorcas, so too can you expect those radical miracles in your life. And I love that. And I, and I think so often that we kind of just, just put that out of our minds as if we can't do the things that Jesus did. And what's fascinating to me is like you always hear about stories like that on the missions field. And you always just hear stories about like, wait, somebody was healed of blindness? Somebody was raised from the dead? Like what? And I, I think a lot of times it's because we just write that off as if it couldn't happen in America for some reason. Whereas, for some reason, we're open to that happening in other countries. Just interesting. Um, and that's the real obvious implication of the story. And I love that. And, uh, and I would love to tackle a message on healing, but that's not what I was feeling led to do. And it wasn't until, seriously, just this last week, and I was driving down uh, to Bend, and we just got right by uh, the Detroit, uh, Detroit Lake, or more like the Detroit Pit. Um, and... Uh, and I just felt like the Lord, and I was thinking about this message, I was like, God, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, and I just felt the Lord just said, look at this godly woman. And I said, Lord, she didn't really do anything. I mean, she just kind of got raised, and it was like, call it good. It's cut and dry. And then I was like, well, why, why her? Like, her? You know, why would she get resurrected and not somebody else why this particular woman for for being resurrected and i felt like god was saying don't just overlook this woman don't just overlook her and i'd really like to spend some more time on that later but for now we are not going to overlook this woman i mean this is a john madden breakdown of these passages because there's so much nuance to just what's happening there 
Uh, there's so many contextual clues as to give you an idea of who this person is. But really what that did is that kind of opened up the door for me to really be like, wow, okay, I see what you're wanting to do this morning. Are you ready? Oh, that's like the most like tame ready I've ever heard in my life. It was like, eh, kind of. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah, amen. So somewhere Jeremy Wallace is streaming tears of pride down his face because I'm going to get in the Greek and he's so excited. Uh, but Dorcas, whether we see her or not, was a model for us to follow. And by the end of this message, you too can be a dork, us. So the title of my message today is Being a Dork Us. So step one of being a Dorcas. Be an undeniable blessing to those around you. Be an undeniable blessing to those around you. It's super important that Luke, when he's, you know, he's carefully writing every word of this, you know, dear Theophilus, you know, I've written to you before of the former things. He, he's writing this, and he's very intentional. He didn't just say some girl named Dorcas got resurrected, and it was cool. It, it literally says in, in the very first part of the text describing her, she was full of good works and acts of charity. Full. The word in Greek literally means Full. As in, cannot be any more than possible. It has reached its limit. And what's also cool is that in the, the, the tense in the Greek means it's a continuation forevermore. It's implied that literally, if she had not died, she would have continued on doing good works full of acts of charity endlessly. And, and that kind of just like, that, that tense there is so cool because you totally just miss it. Um, but it's just that idea like she was full of good works and acts of charity forevermore. Um, and, and I love that because she was probably responsible for the care of the widows. It says that the widows came up to her and were just crying and, and showing Peter, you know, look at these tunics that she made for us. Look at all these other garments that she was responsible for taking care of the widows in the church. I mean, you just start to like paint this portrait of a woman who was just full of what you want for somebody in your church. And it's interesting to me because I started to think about just in my life. And, and so often what the Lord does is he gives me, he kind of says, oh, look at what this person is doing. And it really causes me to get introspective because I said, is, is, is how I love people worth it? You know, I don't know if you've ever given to somebody and given to somebody and given to somebody and poured your heart out for somebody and you ever wondered, is it worth it? You know, whether it's a loved one, you know, you want them to see Jesus and you just pour your soul out to them. You just invest in them and you're just not seeing fruit there. Can I, can I just challenge you on something for a second? More often than not, I don't know if you know this, but when, when seeds are planted, you don't really see anything for a while. And that can be infinitely discouraging in our day and age where we want everything now. I turn on the TV, it turns on now. I switch over to, you know, the game and it should come on now, you know. I want my food now. Uh, where that process of patience can be really challenging for us. And I wonder if Dorcas, you know, when she's making all these things for these widows who really can't give anything back to her, uh, because in the ancient days, you know, it wasn't like women were strong, independent women, and they can go out and get jobs, you know. It was like, they, they need, once, you, once your husband died, it was kind of like, shoot, yeah, that's rough. Um, and so the fact is, like, these women can't really give anything back to her. I wonder if she ever felt like, is it worth it? Do these women love me? Do they appreciate me? 
And, and I think, you know, we all wonder if we actually make a difference. But I, I want to keep going here. Did these widows and the people around her love this woman? No question. No question. And, you know, this idea of are you such an irrevocable blessing to the people around you that if you were gone, they'd be devastated? I think about that like, am I such a blessing? And not in the sense of like if you moved away or you something, but just if you weren't in their life, would they just be like, man, they were such a blessing to me. That really stinks. That really stinks that they're not there. And it's so funny to me because you look at this woman and there's no question that these widows loved Dorcas. This community loved her. You know, and, and I think it's so funny because it's a common adage that when people die, we always say the best things about them to honor their memory. Why do we wait till then? Like, why do I wait to tell the people around me how much they mean to me or share a story with them? You know, why do I wait to tell someone that they've changed my life? Why wait? I mean, why withhold a life-giving word from someone? I hope that if I ever, you know, you know, vanish in a, you know, tiger assault or something, um, that, you know, everyone around me would have no question of how I felt about them. No question. And you talk about being a Dorcas, you know, like, there was no question that she was important to these people. I mean, you want to think about this for a second, is that uh, they, they sent people to go get Peter, right? And if you don't know, I mean, there's the biblical geography here. Uh, th- there were no cars, um, and, and, you know, camels are very slow. Uh, so basically, it's a three-hour kind of like trot, if you will, from Lydda to Joppa. So in, in Joppa, it's, it's, a, it's a coastal town, and because of that, there's a lot of trade. They had this, this, it's this, again, context you missed. It basically was like they had a deadline because it was basically like an instituted policy in all port towns where you had to bury bodies within the day of their death. So they had to be, one, sure that she was dead, so it wasn't like a swoon or it wasn't like she was like, <laughs> I'm dead. You know, uh, she was really dead. Uh, and two, they, they had to bury the bodies right away because, you know, a body decomposes, there's diseases, and because there's so much trade going in and out of there, it's, it's something that they do relatively quickly. So they're under a deadline here. So they send these, these bodies. Puppeteary, I love it. You get it done, man. Um, they, they, had to, they had to send somebody to get Peter right away. And, and what, I, what I think is interesting is that I just assume that, like, oh, they know that Peter can resurrect the dead. Uh, I don't know if they knew that. You know, I think it was almost like a Hail Mary of just like, we love her so much, she became ill. We just, there's something. There has to be something we can do. There has to be something we can do. I mean, if, if your loved one fell ill suddenly and it was all happened within like a day, you would just say, there's something we can do. So they, they run and they get Peter and Peter just leaves immediately. And so it's a six-hour journey that happens here. I mean, you have to think that you wouldn't do that kind of thing for somebody that wasn't deserving of that. You wouldn't drop everything you're doing to say, we are going to do whatever we can. You know what I mean? Obviously, loss affects us all in a profound way, but, I mean, they literally were just like, we have to do something. And I, and I think about this, is that Dorcas had a life. She lived a life worthy of resurrection. 
And, and I think about that. Do I live a life worthy of resurrection? You know, these people were at the end of the rope. You know, and often, often when we're at the end of our rope, I feel like a lot of you might be there right now. You might feel like, man, I'm at the end of my rope. Finances are tight. I need a job. I'm lonely. I mean, for people that have someone, you forget how lonely a day like today feels. It's hard. And I think God often does our greatest work when we're at this point. And, and hear me, it's not because he delights in that. It's not like, yay, smash him down so then I can like finally do what I want to do. Um, I, don't, I don't think we serve a God like that. I think it's just because we're never more open to being obedient when we're at the end of our rope. We're never more open to saying, God, just do something, please. I'm desperate than when we're at the end of our rope. You know, our desire and our, 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 our just our, our hope is, is only a lot of times, I think, if we opened that up sooner. Um, you know, I think about this idea of just a life worthy of resurrection. Um, and I start to think about, like, even just Dorcas, you know, of like, it's just, it's just all those, like, thoughts you have about somebody when you just allow yourself just room to think. And I started to think, like, you know, what's my motivation? You know, what's my motivation for helping other people? And I, and I talked about this a lot with our students, is that our motivation for giving a lot of times is, is something Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, and I think it's rooted in two things. One is how it makes us look, and two, how it makes us feel. You know, I, I think about, like, how often I do something. You know, like, I always share about something that I did. You know, like, oh, I, I had a really fruitful conversation with a homeless man in Portland. And, uh, wow, it was great. And I'm going to be very honest here, and this might be uh, portraying myself as a pastor, but I think I like a lot of times how people view me more when I do something like that than I do it because I really want that person to receive Jesus. You know, I think more, I'm like, ooh, people are going to think I'm really cool and spiritual. Or I think, you know, oh, wow, this makes me feel so good to do something nice for someone else. You know, it's like I become a, a giving junkie, not because I care so much about other people, but because of the feeling it gives me. And can I, can I just kind of drop something off here for you? Maybe that's not the best motivation for us as believers. You know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, like you, you give so your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. In other words, if your motivation for giving is to be recognized by somebody else, Jesus says, hey, guess what? That's your reward. That's all you're going to get. You're not going to get anything from me. I mean, that's challenging. And I think about this idea of just, man, like, could I help a group of people so consistently and so fervently and, and, and not expect anything back from them? Could I, could I do what Dorcas did and just provide for a bunch of people like that? Man, that would challenge me. I mean, I mean I'm just going to share something really just crazy. It's just like the other day, like, you know, my, my, my dad sometimes, like, you know, likes to help me out by, um, 
you know, by being like, hey, could you come over and help me with, uh, you know, my basement stuff? You know, I'd love to give you just a little money, help you and Kate out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And the other day he asked me, he's like, Spence, can you come over? I got, you know, my dad's like 70 this year and, you know, he's not, he's not in the best shape physically. And he was like, I got to move a bunch of two by fours and plywood and everything. And, and I got to, I got to move it up from my basement. I just can't get the angles and everything. It's just really twisty. And I immediately thought like, oh, cool. I hope he's going to give me money for this. You know, like, can, can I give to someone so selflessly? It's like my, I, helping my father move things that are heavy. Like, that's my role as a son. You know, it's like to lift heavy things. You know, to open jars that cannot henceforth be opened. You know, it's like, that is my role. And, and I think a lot of times our giving, and, and to kind of go on a tangent here, I think a lot of times our giving is tied up like that. You know, it's conditional. And, I, and I, just to challenge you in that, like, giving, and C.S. Lewis says this about giving, and I'm going to butcher this quote because I've heard it so many times and I can never repeat it right, but, but giving is all about uh, giving to those who can do nothing for you. It's, it's, it's about giving to those who can't give you anything back. And, and even just this idea of a transaction, you know, it's like, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. That's just a transaction. That's not giving. And I want to just challenge you. A part of living a life worth resurrecting is to give to those that can't give anything back to you and to not expect anything. Like I think about our worship sometimes. Is that Can I, can I challenge you a little bit on your worship experience? More often than not, if, if, I'm, if I'm singing out, I'm raising my hands, I'm crying out to the Lord with everything in me, and I feel nothing, can I tell you that that is actually the best form of worship that you can do because you literally gave God everything and he just received it but so often I go into worship being like God come on give me the little heebie-jeebies give me give me something here whereas like you know part of living a lifestyle that is just is worth resurrecting is to say no you get all the glory I don't need anything man one time I worship my just it was like an hour long I didn't cry once. I was raising my hands. I was saying all these things to the Lord. And I got out of it. And I just felt this just like core of satisfaction of just being like, okay, I gave God everything. And he just took it and said, yes, thank you. That's the heart of worship right there. But then the next week I also was like, you know, like, come on, I want to feel something. I'm having such a hard day, Lord. So I'm not, there's one time that happened perfectly. So it's, I just don't want to imply that I'm something else. Well, uh, another part of being a Dorcas is, is to be honest, is to not overlook the people in your life that are like Dorcas. I just want you to think about just people you overlook for a second. And that's going to be hard because you overlook them, so you don't even know if you can think about them. But just think about the people in your life you overlook. At work, maybe at school, in your community. And what's really funny is, um, you know, I think about, there's this quote uh, by, by a pastor that says, if the enemy can't keep you frustrated in failure, he will try to th- take the sweetness out of your success. 
you know, and if he can't stop you from giving, if he can't stop you from being a source of life to people around you, he'll kind of rob you of that joy that comes from serving the Lord. And it's so funny because I feel like we overlook so many people in our life. And I'm going to go on kind of a tangent here and to kind of wrap us up today. And just come with me on this because I really believe the Lord wants to do some healing in some of you. Uh, because I really wrestled with this. And it's made me the most nervous in my tummy about everything. Um, why would I say that? I don't even know. Tummy. Tummy. <laughs> But it was interesting because part of my dialogue with God while I was driving, uh, I, I literally said, what has this woman done? She didn't do anything. And I looked right over her contributions uh, in the church and to the church. And I, I wasn't seeing Dorcas as God saw her, but as man saw her. And I just thought, how many women have ever felt overlooked by the church? There's this kind of unspoken, tenuous thing that, um, about women in ministry. And I don't know if you've ever been to a church that doesn't really support women in ministry. Or say that women can't be preachers or teachers or worship leaders, but they can sure help on at Sunday school. You know, I mean, maybe we'll give them a special song on Mother's Day or something. Um, but I'm just going to say, women aren't meant to be token members of the church. Women aren't meant to be sidelined. Uh, Luke didn't sideline women in his gospel. I mean, they weren't sidelined by Jesus. In fact, the first preachers of the gospel were women. And um, I may not be the best person to say this because I'm a dude. uh, But I know a lot of women have been marginalized by the church. And I know this church isn't perfect, but I'm proud to say that we have women on our pastoral staff. I'm proud to say that we have women representation on our council. Um... You know, we have women that preach from the pulpit. Uh, and not every church is like ours. In fact, I, you know, I was just thinking about the fact that um, Dorcas, you know, has an incredible role in this community. And today, I, I just want to say that I think women have an incredible role in the church. And I get really annoyed. Ah, yeah, here we go. Uh, I get really annoyed when we, we reduce, especially in, in, in the church, we reduce our, our, our young girls to just being pretty faces. The, 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 the ideal that you want to strive for as a young girl is to be beautiful. You know, God sees your heart, you're beautiful. And I believe that's important, but I don't want to just reduce girls to that. You know, I mean, what about our, what about our, our women who we, we say, hey, why don't we celebrate your intelligence? Why don't we celebrate your creativity? Why don't we celebrate your strength, your leadership, you know, your talents? You know, I don't want to marginalize our, our young girls. I mean, you can grow up and you can be, you know, a, a pastor. You know, there's some churches that tell women that they can't preach the gospel. 
you know? Uh, you know, you can be a doctor. You know, you can be a mother. You know, you can do what you want. The church has your back. You know, and I think about, you know, speak up, women. The church needs your voice. I'm going to say it again. Speak up. The church needs your voice. Because let me just say this. As a youth pastor, boys are idiots. It's frustrating. Yet there's this this hesitancy from girls to serve and to be leaders. And I wonder where we get it. You know, I mean... I, and I, I think about if I ever ever if I ever have a daughter, which I am absolutely ruined, will I look at her and just say, you know, I, I would never want to just reduce her to be a pretty face. She will be beautiful, but why would I say to her, you know, you're so beautiful, honey? That's and I look at Ezra and I say, man, the world is yours. You can be a leader. You can strive for greatness. You can take it, you know, and love it and save it. I'm like, but you're so pretty over here. No, I would be like, hey, look at me. It's like, you are strong. You are fierce. You are a woman. You are intelligent, way smarter than him. And you can <laughs> do whatever you want to do. The church has your back. And I know a tiny fraction of you right now, and I'm sorry to say, that you're being like, well, Spencer, the Bible says that women shouldn't have prominent roles in the church. Few of you are thinking that. Uh, to which I'd say you're probably thinking about Paul. You're probably thinking about the times where he says, I do not permit a woman to speak. Um, what's interesting is that Paul also calls out in several of his other letters women in leadership, Lydia and Romans, um, a few others in, in Corinthians. And he calls out these women who are leaders and pastors. So maybe he's just addressing a specific thing. But he also says this in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I don't want to be a church that puts a limitation on anybody. I don't want to be a church that puts a label on anyone and says, Ah, you know, you, you can't do that. No, I mean... And, and, and I, I, I'm just going to say this. Young girls need models, not critics. I'm going to say it again. Write it down. Get it done, church. Young girls need models, not critics. You know, I, I was thinking about, I had this moment where we were all at a little swim party. And uh, what's been tradition in the church is if a, if a girl shows up and she's wearing, you know, a, a, like a, a swimsuit. We say, hey, put this tent over you, for you should be ashamed of your body. And then it's, it's, you know, I don't tell the young guys, hey, watch your eyes. It's your responsibility. I can help it. I don't know why you can't. Well, you're a kid. Uh, you know, you're a young guy. It makes sense. Uh, but it's just that idea that, you know, like, are, are we, are, you know, do, do our girls grow up in church just feeling emboldened? You know, do, they, do they, we look at somebody like the life of Dorcas and say, like, you can have a life that's worth resurrecting, that's full. Because we will not be a church that marginalizes anyone. Amen? Amen. 
And I, I'll be honest, I brought a lot of my bias into this message. I was like, I don't really want to talk about this. I didn't feel comfortable. I overlooked this woman repeatedly because I was like, oh, she didn't do anything. And, and I just was like, wow, how often do I struggle with that? And if for some reason, if, you, if you're still like, man, we shouldn't have women in leadership or serving or as pastors, you should really do some research on the Foursquare movement and how it started. <laughs> I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. This crazy lady named Amy who reached so many people for Jesus started it. Oh, she, she was a woman. That's what I'm saying. If you're like, Amy, yes, great guy. No, no. I just want to say God is on the move in all of us. And it's going to take everyone. Because I'm just going to say this to, to, to you women out there. It's like, we just so need your voice. I mean, I get more mothers that come to me that are concerned about their kids than I do fathers. More moms who are concerned about, you know, the, the people in their life. I get more moms that are, you know, asking me to meet with their sons, you know. And, and I'm just going to say, I think about this idea that, you know, God is, God is moving in all of us. The Peters, the Pauls, the Marys, the Dorcases, and the Dorks. And we all have the same Holy Spirit. I mean, God isn't a God who's going to separate us out by gender or race. He just isn't. I mean, we're all the same at the foot of the cross. And I just want to just close in this. I think about the healing of Dorcas. And there are reasons that this healing happened to this woman in particular and not someone else. I, w- I want to be somebody like Dorcas. I don't want to, one, I don't want to be overlooked. I don't want to be marginalized. I want to be an irrevocable blessing to those around me. So much so that if something ever happened to me, it's like people would be so moved to see my, my life just be a testimony. And I just want to encourage you. Um, let's bless the people around us. Let's live lives worthy of resurrection. And let's never overlook the people we're surrounded by. Amen? Also, fellas, if if you need any more material for Valentine's Day, I'm here. Your Bible's there. Really encourage you guys to dive into that. Um, Let's pray. God, we just, uh, we just ask, and um, Lord, forgive me for monologuing too much, Lord, but we just, um, we need you, and we need, uh, we need dorks and dorkuses in the world. God, we need um, people that just refuse to be marginalized, Lord. We need to speak up. We need to live lives that bless people. Jesus, we just need you. Lord, we love you, we love you, we love you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. 
You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.